Hey everybody, happy Wednesday and welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me, as he always is, is Mr. Matt Disher. Matt, how are you today? You know, it was 92 degrees last Wednesday here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then this morning I woke up and my uh, my Alexa in my bedroom was telling me that it was 44 degrees outside. So uh, fall or autumn has arrived. It Otherwise, has- I'm doing okay. What about I was, you? I was going to mention you have the the three quarter zip. Uh, it looks like an Eddie Bauer fleece, possibly. It is. I refuse yeah. to turn on the furnace quite yet. I I just can't. Like I don't. It's cold in here today. It is uh, like it, it, the house is. I live in a newer house, so the insulation works really well. But like yeah. when you have the air conditioner on, you know, in the afternoon yesterday, and then the, mm-hmm. the house retains that temperature at like seventy degrees, and then overnight you drop. You know, there's four or no five there's degrees no in the external house. heat to yeah. to raise that internal temperature at all. So yeah. inside, I think the, th- the 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 thermostat is telling me it's like 65 inside of the house. It's a little okay. chilly. I was gonna say it's 67 in mine. Uh, yeah. I got home, I got home, and it was a little chilly. So I put on the Nautica hoodie. I was like, you know yeah. what? It's it's that time of year. It's nice. So yeah, put the hoodie on and be comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Last week, I, yeah, warm today. Yep. Uh, it's it's been since Monday, a gradual decline down to this. And I think the next two days it's supposed to continue here in Pennsylvania, but. Yep. I, I I, look, this is not a paid advertisement either. I love these Eddie Bauer fleeces because they make tall sizes in them and, and they're super comfortable and super quick and they come in all these different colors. These are like the go-to and they look nice, right? So they're super warm and they're not terribly expensive. So I, uh, I, I, I have three or four of these in different colors and I bust these things out and get it done. That's why, that's why men are just, we're so simple. You find something you like and you're like, does it come in different colors? I'll have the <laughs> same exact thing in a different my, color. It's the same my, exact shirt. My wife made the mistake of buying me a pair of pants from um, Travis Matthew. They they do like golf clothing. It's yes. like a men's uh, yes. golf clothing store. But uh, I, I always criticize her because she's she's always joking around like, God, your style was terrible. And like, I'm like, then buy me clothes and I'll wear whatever you give me, right? And so she bought me these pants and they were the best pants I've ever had. They're a little expensive. The best pants I ever had. So I keep going back and buying more different colors of these same pants. And and she's all mad. She's like, oh, you've, you bought, you know, you're basically keeping them in business. I'm like, yeah, but the problem is like, I never buy clothes. Mm. And so, you know, the once a year when I'm like, hey, you know what? I need a new sweatshirt. I'll go buy four of the same thing just to hang on to it. And I'll keep them forever. And I won't buy new pants for 10 years until I... Until I uh, until my muscles get bigger and they don't fit me anymore. Yeah, I've 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 become so massively huge right. with muscles. Right. I must go to the next size. Yeah, uh, I will say that um, you know, me thinking back to our time in Okinawa together, you were always just a, a t-shirt and jeans type of guy, or I guess over there most of the time with the humidity, t-shirt and shorts. But yeah, you know, uh, mo- I, I would say the majority of us, um, of you know, of that era, were kind of just a t-shirt and jeans type of type of individuals. Yeah, I don't, I, I've always been kind of simplistic. I, I'm not, I'm not really even like, I don't even like polo shirts. Um, I don't know what it is. As a kid, I didn't like wearing blue jeans or sweaters. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it was a texture thing or a, a fabric thing or something like that. So I was always the kid who I loved to put on like sweatpants and a t-shirt. And I, I realized that sounds a little sloppy and slobby. You know, it's lazy or whatever. I think what happened, well, this is going to be a funny story. I was in first grade or maybe kindergarten. And I went into the bathroom in my classroom one day and I had these like tight fitting black jeans on. And, you know, as a little kid, I couldn't get the button done, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, undone and done. And the fire alarm went off. It was a fire drill. And as a little kid, I panicked in the bathroom and couldn't get my pants back together. Not that that was a big deal, but I came screaming out of the bathroom all, all mad. And, you know, my teacher helped me button my pants back up. But I, I think I hung on to that. Like, I remember that very distinctly. That was mm-hmm. like one of those core memories as a little kid. I think that ever since that day, until I became an adult, it was like, I don't like jeans. So working or living in a climate like Okinawa, Japan, where it's always warm, man, you know, throw on a t-shirt and shorts, mm-hmm. make it easy. That's, that was the best, uh, that was the best environment for that. Sometimes though, as you know, it was so hot outside. It didn't matter how few clothing you were wearing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, I'll, I'll commend kindergarten or first grade Mr. Disher because you got to the root cause, you know, root cause. What, what's the issue? I, I couldn't get my pants back together. What was the root cause? That stupid button. Yeah. I'll start wearing things without buttons, a la sweatpants. 
and yep. uh, you know, problem solved. So problem solved, right? You 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 found the problem, you found the root cause of said problem, and you uh, figured out a way to remove the problem. Yep. Very good. That's right. Very good. Absolutely. Very awesome. So, uh, you know, we we talked a little bit about your Bengals last week, and I just wanted <sighs> to say that I, I, tomorrow night the Bengals are playing in Thursday night football. They're unveiling what I'm very excited to see the the white panther or white yep. tiger uniform. Yep. Um, against the Miami Dolphins. And it kind of hit me this morning that if, let's say three years ago, if you'd have told me there was a primetime game between the Cincinnati Bengals and Miami Dolphins, I would have been like, ugh, yeah. no one's watching that. It's crazy. Right. Now yeah, you have right. the undefeated Dolphins coming to Cincinnati to play last year's AFC Championships. That's right. Uh, this is my mom, by the way, and apparently she missed the H and happened to you. I had no idea that happened to you, Matt. I'm, uh, Mom, I'm pretty sure that I told you that story at one point in time, or maybe it's just one of those things that I never had to tell anybody because it's really not. It's sort of it's sort of a stupid, funny story, mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's one of those things that I I mean, I hang on to that. I also remember another kid it probably in first grade who um who was running to the bathroom and threw up in front of himself and oh. fell and slipped in, in it and ran into, <laughs> and oh. ran into the wall. Um, like the, uh, like the office where the guy's got the pot of chili and spills it and then falls into it. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. It was exactly that. I remember those types of things. Like those are memories that, that remain in my head. And, and as we go back and talk about these things, but uh, so I, I, I can't, I can't certainly say, you know, with 100% honesty that, we had to take an extra set of clothes to school, but I think as a young child, kindergarten, first grade, that, that type of age, if you wanted to, you could bring an extra set of clothes for your child to school and it would be kept down at like the nurse's office or something in case something like that were to happen or yep. a young child has an accident where uh, maybe they can't get their pants unbuttoned in time and there's an yep. accident or something along those lines. But Yeah. I don't, I don't know if we ever had anything like that and I never, I, I never needed it, but um at any rate, it's one of those fun things that uh, you just you, you forget about until you got to think about it. Uh, speaking of Bengals, the prediction here that I'm reading is 2117 Bengals tomorrow. So uh, okay. I'm yeah. pretty sure if the Dolphins uh, do any butt punts or anything like that again, mm -hmm. that uh, it's going to look bad. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, butt punts. I, so. I did see the butt punt. Uh, you know, it was a <laughs> eyeball play. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> We're kind of talking about fashion again. Not that I'm a, a fashion forward type of guy, but I'm looking forward to the white uniform that the Bengals are going to yeah. uh, break out on Thursday. I know uh, my Philadelphia Eagles are breaking out their black helmets on Friday or Sunday. I'm sorry. Uh, something we've never seen so far. So. What's the away jersey for the Dolphins? Is it like blue? Uh, I think it's it, the uh... teal. I think it's the teal jersey and the yeah. white pants, but maybe they okay. go all teal since the Bengals yeah. are being all white. I'm hoping for a, uh, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it 36, no, 32 to 7. Ooh. 32 to 7. 32 to 7. Okay. That's, uh, I will say that Vegas has it at four points, so that 21 to 17 sounds about right. Look, I'm going to go bold or go home. I'm going to go bold or go home. Yeah. You know, I will say this, uh, the, the, uh, the Dolphins just upset the Buffalo Bills last week, mm -hmm. but the Bills had 90 offensive plays, so that Dolphins defense should be plenty tired. Maybe the Bengals can take uh, advantage of that and put up that 32 points you're speaking of. Well, and I hope I hope the defense is plenty tired because the uh, the Bengals offense have uh, the offensive line has not been looking so good, and Joe Burrow continues to run for his life, and that's very frustrating. It is. Uh, that's very frustrating. You know, on another note, my son and the offensive line on their football team. Uh, this week, one playmaker of the week. So the offensive line, one playmaker of the week. Uh, and, and they have a, a photo hanging up in the local Buffalo wings and rings. Um, nice. my kiddo won the O chain last week, the offensive chance, this literally a big chain that you win for being like the offensive player of the week. Uh, so two weeks in a row, he, he, and, or his, the rest of his, his counterparts on the O line have been have been recognized. And uh, some of the jokes were that perhaps those boys in sixth grade could go protect Joe Burrow. So, um, hey, hey, sign them up. Let's get them those big contracts. Yeah. Well, so my son's been the, they, they we tried him out at a, a shotgun snapping position because as the center, just only in spread offense when we're doing shotgun snaps, because some of the other kids that were typically the centers were having trouble making that effective shotgun snap and blocking at the same time. So he did it and he did it flawlessly. And so they put him in there, but um, 
that's been uh it, it's been really fun to watch he was like i don't really want to play center dad and i was like well why not he's like well because it's not really it's kind of an anonymous position i was like you know that um I think it's Ted Karras who plays for the, he's the center for the Bengals now makes like $6 million a year. And he's like, okay, never mind. I'll be the center. So <laughs> uh, we had to do some comparisons about what Jamar Chase makes. He's like, well, Jamar Chase makes a lot more money as a receiver. I'm like, Jamar Chase is at like $7 million a year. So mm-hmm. it's maybe yeah. seven and a half. So Jamar Chase is also on a rookie deal in another three. Years, right. right, 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 right. <laughs> but, but the point is, and, and here we are, like, we're, we're splitting hairs over millions yeah. of dollars, right? I'm telling yeah. my kid, I'm like $6 million to snap a ball and block people. I know it's, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, but uh, they played a team this weekend. Um, my son's team did. And the other team, we, we, we beat them in a, a, a shutout. It was 32 to zero. Uh, the other team didn't score. This is our second win in a row. Uh, and this team blitzed. They did nothing but blitz on defense. They sent, it was a full blitz every single time. And so our O-line, which is why they won playmaker of the week, had to block two or three kids each. You know, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we still smoked them. So it was good. Well, well, you know, if we're talking centers and money, let him know. Uh, Jason Kelsey, center for the Philadelphia Eagles, guaranteed $9 million a year. That's it? That's all? It's, I mean, yeah. I if I had the size and talent and athletic ability, I would I would probably settle for nine. You know, maybe maybe yeah. nine point two. But yeah. Look, I find eight in my couch cushions. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And we'll, we're going to circle back. We're going to talk uh, some more sports and, and sports like topics uh, down down the road here. But um, wanted to get into our first article here. And you know, if if you have Netflix, you know that one of the most popular shows on Netflix right now is centered around uh, the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer. I believe the show is titled Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer Story on Netflix. Um, But most people did not know that Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer actually served in the Army and received an honorable discharge uh, back in 1981. As a matter of fact, Jeffrey Dahmer served in the United States Army from January 79 to March of 81 before receiving that honorable discharge. Um, So the story goes that Jeffrey Dahmer graduates high school. He commits his, his first murder and dismemberment and all of those uh, grotesque things before enrolling into college at uh, Ohio State University. He spends a semester there in Ohio State, reportedly spends most of that semester uh, alone in his dorm room, uh, uh, being as drunk as, as possible. Mm. Uh, I believe it was his father uh, pushed for him to, hey, maybe, maybe college isn't your thing. Maybe you should join the Army. So uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, joins the army. He, he goes to his basic training. Um, he goes into the medical field by all accounts. He is a mediocre to slightly below mediocre soldier, uh, gets stationed over in Germany. Um, according to the article here on military.com, there's actually a, uh, another soldier who is then who's since then come out and claimed that he was raped by Jeffrey Dahmer 17 times, uh, in, in a year while over there in Germany, um, you know, let's, let's be honest. The world has definitely changed a lot since 19, uh, 1979, 1980, mm-hmm. um, where nowadays the individual, uh, that's, that's having these crimes committed against them is probably a little more open to coming out and, and letting someone know. Um, but that was not done back then. Nothing, uh, you know, ever happened to Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer, but based off of his, his increased drinking in the military, some of his superiors decided, Hey, He's probably not suited for the armed forces. Uh, we'll go ahead and discharge him, uh, thinking that you know his drinking is probably not going to be a problem in the civilian world. Hopefully, as he grows up, he'll uh, you know get that under wraps. But that was not the case. Um, so, Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer is honorably discharged from the army. He ends up in Milwaukee, and then he was on his uh, killing spree before in 1991, 92 ish. I forget when he was arrested. Yeah, it, I I don't early nineties. Yeah, it, uh, look there. So a couple of things. You know, you said he he went to the army and then he went to Ohio mm-hmm. State. Um, you know, people who dislike Ohio State football, for example, would be like, "Oh, look, you're producing people like Jeffrey Dahmer." Yeah, waiting to go, right, right, right. Good for you. Uh, none of these affiliations mean anything, obviously. Uh, I know in, in our, our typically over-politicized world, anybody you have any association with at any point in time and, you know, down the road and they want to, they want to tarnish your reputation, mm-hmm. let's do it. Uh, 
I think that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer obviously was was drinking. And the reason why we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer is because of this show on TV, mm -hmm. too. Like, it's a popular subject right now. My wife and I watched this. She watched more of it than I did. But uh, this dude had some problems from oh, yeah. from day one and really couldn't hold down anything, couldn't hold down jobs, uh, let alone the military. Um, and then, you know, increasingly became more and more criminalistic. And and the article talks a little bit about how, like, how did he get into the army without anything on his record? Well, he wasn't a criminal until he was a criminal. And if you watch the show, it also highlights how how much complacency there was and all of these other things that just went wrong that they should have caught him years, years and years before. He should have been in prison years and years before he actually ended up in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were breakdowns in, in the processes and, and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, uh, perhaps to your point, if, if he had raped somebody in the army, perhaps at that point, if, if the culture existed, that that person could have come forward and said, Hey, this happened. Um, I would argue that even today, some of that culture does not exist. Uh, it exists more now than it did 30 years ago. Uh, but, you know, the, the point here is had that person come forward and had there been an investigation, perhaps Jeffrey Dahmer would have been in prison long before he went on his, you know, summer killing spree in the 90s. Yeah. Or then he at least has a record, which gives, you know, if he decides to to start committing these crimes when he's back in civilian uh, world, uh, once they start whittling down the, their list of uh, suspects. Yeah. And, you know, normally they're, they're starting with people that have a prior criminal record. Right. You know, something like that maybe uh, puts them towards the top of those lists. But, you know, uh, you can't change the past. That's for certain. Uh, but, yeah, it's um, definitely a, a, a man with some issues. And it, it's sad to, to see when, when individuals like that don't get the help they, uh, they need or deserve. I will give his 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 father some credit, potentially, that, uh, you know, knowing his son and, and realizing that, you know, he probably has problems committing to things. The uh, if you can get into the armed forces, one, maybe you, you find that little bit of discipline you need. Uh, and two, um, as long as you're you're showing up and doing the things you need to be doing, it's it's there every day. It's not going mm -hmm. away. Um, so, you know, if you just if you show up and do the right things, it, it'll be there for you as long as you can be there for it. And Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's like, uh, you know, it, not everybody in the military is going to be the next general. Right. Mm -hmm. Not everybody in the armed forces is going to be the next rock star. There, there's this this misnomer, I think, when we talk about and all the subjects we talk about, Tim, that everybody in the military is going to be an exceptional standout in whatever respective field. It's simply not the case, like any yeah. other job. The military is a cross section of the population in the United States from from ethnicity and, and racial diversity to male and female, although women are underrepresented in the military pretty significantly compared to population of the United States. But mm -hmm. the the armed forces for a lot of people can become another job. It's just that you wear a uniform and you have a specific dedication to a mission. And your mission is a little bit different than I got to make sandwiches today at the restaurant down the street. And if I don't like this job anymore, I don't like my boss, I can just quit. The military is not as such, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are plenty of people that, that, that make great careers in the armed forces and you don't have to be an exceptional standout. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to your point, show up and do your job in some cases, that's what some people want. That's, that's yeah. really, that's really all that much of America asks of anybody anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of streaming, uh, services and, and television shows, uh, a show I like, uh, on Amazon prime, Jack Ryan, mm -hmm. um, it's been a few years since since we've had any new Jack Ryan episodes. December 21st, I believe, of 2022, we will get the next season, season three of uh, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. So, Is it still yeah, John what's Krasinski? His name? Krasinski. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I can't remember his character's name on the, on the, the office. I was going to. Yeah. Well, it's it's so interesting because you watch him on the office and then suddenly he's in, uh, you know, uh, 13 hours in Benghazi. And yeah. then he's Jack Ryan and. You know, he's had some pretty amazing roles coming up from the office, and he 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 came into the office, and and I, I don't want to say he was soft, but he just had that young man softness to him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, clean shaven face, and yep. yeah, as soon as that show ended, and you know, he got with his representation, like let's let's grow out a beard and hit the gym, and you know, we'll get you some nice supplements, and we'll. Yep out those shoulders and the arms and the chest and next thing you know you can be in some action roles i think i saw 
I think I saw him on Instagram or, or Facebook. There's like an interview talking about how his, he went to Hollywood to become an actor and like went through years of this. He's doing the same old stuff. Everybody in Hollywood does like working at restaurants and having like menial jobs. And then right when he was about to quit, his mom said, well, wait till the end of the year, wait till the I end saw, of the month. Or something I saw like this that. exact thing on, yep. on a, it was a, one of those late night talk shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he was waiting, waiting tables in New York city. I think he was doing some like off Broadway yep. stuff. Right. None of the things that were actually going to pay him, even a semi-decent salary we're, we're calling him back and yeah he had that conversation with mom, mom can you come get me i'm ready to come home to the boston area i think is where he's from yep and she said no i'll i'll come get you at the end of the summer or the end of the month or whatever and two weeks later he gets the call from yeah. whoever at nbc and yeah the rest is all history it's, it's weird been... that those things happen so often in life yeah. where you try you try you try and the second you kind of let that guard down and say you throw your hands up and whatever. I don't even care anymore. And oh, hey, you're exactly what we've been looking for. That was always the advice when I was younger and dating. That was always the advice: like stop so looking and just stop trying. Stop trying. And yeah. and and then something will come along. And I think that actually happened to me. Like just stop looking, and you'll you'll bump into it. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, John Krasinski has been in. Is it Kaczynski or Kras It's Kaczynski. Anyway. Yeah, Sem semantics. He's been in a handful of good flicks too. What's the one where they have to be completely silent because there's that sort of strange alien is invasion? Is it silence or si dead silence? It's dead silence. I don't know. I I know what you're talking about. I did uh, not see um, that cinematic adventure personally, um, but I do know what you're speaking of. Krasinski is his name. Um, yeah, it's uh, hold on. Gosh, now it's going to bother me. I'm, <laughs> I'm usually pretty good with movies, but uh, a quiet place. It's a quiet, quiet place. place. There you go. Yeah, there you go. great. Yeah. There's two of those movies, and they are great. They're great flicks. They're kind is of he in, um, is he in both? I think so. Um, you know what? I think his character dies in the first one, okay. but then there's some like recollection back to him in the first one. Yeah, thanks, Cassie. Quiet place. Uh, yeah, I can't get her up there. Whoop, there we go. I think and, we're both trying to get her up yep. and, and I'm hiding her as you put it. Here we go. Quiet Place. Uh, he's done some other work apparently in Shrek, uh, Monsters okay. University. Um, and he's married to Emily Blunt, who I think was also in that movie too, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Very good. So Very good. Uh, good also, I meant, to, I meant to bring this up uh, during the open here, but uh, for anyone that's down in South Florida, uh, just know we're, we're open for the best for all of you, uh, you know, Hopefully everybody's going to be safe, do the right thing, take shelter, get out of there if you can, if you need to. Uh, but yeah, Hurricane Ian, I believe it's approaching Category 5. It's a very strong Category 4 hurricane right now, and uh, it's expected to hit Southern Florida at some point uh, very shortly. So just, uh, you know, anybody that's in that area, take take care, you know, hopefully you yeah. got all the supplies you need. And if you're looking for, if you're a, a veteran or even not a veteran or anybody who would like to participate in any cleanup or assistance, uh, Team Rubicon is a great organization. I'm already yeah. receiving. So I'm on the gray shirt list with Team Rubicon, which basically means they will ask me if I'd like to deploy to specific disaster zones. It's generally after earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that, you get called up or any other humanitarian crisis that's not particularly dangerous. It's, you know, it's cleanup, right? It's helping people get situated. Uh, Team Rubicon will deploy people. It is a veteran-based service organization. Most of the people who are on the ground are veterans. I think that anybody can participate. And if you can't physically participate to go help clean up and, and help people down there, um, you can also financially or monetarily donate to the mission. Uh, they do some pretty good work. I went to Northern Kentucky a few years back when some pretty strong hurricane, or I'm sorry, tornadoes ripped through uh, Kentucky on this you know, 200 mile path of destruction. And when we showed up to the town, uh, I was alongside of uh, Dave Corlett, who leads the Cincinnati Police Department's uh, veteran group, uh, veteran alliance group. Uh, Dave's an army veteran, Desert Storm veteran. Dave and I went up there to give money to people who could probably use it for a meal or some water or whatever they're going to go out and buy. And we saw a team Rubicon team there in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky uh, moving around debris and helping people get their belongings out of their houses and stuff like that. So it's a pretty good organization if you'd like to uh, to go jump in with them. Yeah, I, I put the uh, the website up here, uh, teamrubiconusa.org. If you're interested, you can check that out. Uh, you know, plenty of ways to help out. Um, yeah, I did some uh, post-Hurricane Katrina uh, work, uh, 
God, years ago now, um, but ended up down in uh, started in Alabama and then over into the New Orleans area. And then as we were starting to wrap up that, I know another smaller hurricane hit uh, the southwest uh, portion of Florida. So we just said, hey, let's roll on down there. So it ended up mm-hmm. being months and months. Uh, but yeah, I was a young man, single at the time, no family. So it afforded me the ability to do things like that. So, yep. Um, but speaking of being a young man and not having a family back then, uh, Matt, you and I, we closing in on that, that old here, air quotes there, old, uh, we, we both have families. Um, you know, my, my girls play sports, your son, you, we, you talked about it earlier, the, uh, the offensive lineman, the, 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 you know, what they're, they're highlighted up there in the Buffalo wild wings. He won the O chain last week. You mentioned last week you're coaching three sports right now until football's over, uh, but you you came to me last night and you, you had some thoughts about sports athletics and and you know parenting and and sports parenting and how that all kind of plays a role and and what sports means for children and their their development and how that leads them into you know adults. Yeah, you know, and, and this conversation can kind of snake in any different direction, but I, I think here's the theme. There are a couple of themes here. One, I want to talk about absentee versus, uh, you know, present parenting and how it affects young athletes and, and what that means. You know, there's a correlation to this into corporate America too, corporate leadership as well. Uh, but then I think the other piece of this is, is you know, good coaching versus bad coaching or effective coaches versus ineffective coaches. I've had the opportunity in the last couple of years to coach alongside of some really good coaches uh, in, in various sports, a handful of people that I've worked alongside of in, in you know, the last two or three years uh, who really understand you know putting their ego aside and moving forward with getting the kids to a point where they can be the best they can be. I've, I've been listening to, and we had him on the show a little while back, Stu Scheller. Stu was the um, Marine Lieutenant Colonel who uh, effectively was drugged through the media for a while for criticizing military leadership and the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Uh, Stu has a new book out called Crisis of Command, and I've been listening to it. And one of the statements that kind of stuck with me that he he mentioned in this is that you have a lot of arbitrary things that happen. And this doesn't just apply to the military. It applies to anywhere in the world. You have a lot of arbitrary things that happen uh, policies and processes and, and ways of doing things because somebody didn't have courage to stand up and say, hey, we could do this a better way or things could be different or we need to think outside of the box or something along those lines. Um, so, you know, what this prompted was this conversation to, like I'm looking at the last couple of years of, of, of sports and being a coach and understanding, you know, my own child, my success, his success has been uh, around having you know, an effective support system, parents and grandparents that show up to everything and give him advice and and things like that. Um, And what I've noticed is the kids that suffer the most are kids whose parents uh, are largely absent from practice and games. Uh, They are the kids who, you know, one of the red flags that I came up with last year really is the coach of a team should know who the parents are. And sometimes we look around and go, I don't know who this kid's parents are and that becomes a problem. And there's a correlation between the child's performance and how often their parents or their, their guardians are there. Let's, let's not talk about parents, guardians, any, any of that adult element. So I, I, you know, I think the observation is that uh, the kids who, whose parents are most involved and, and most present are typically the ones who are most successful or have the most potential. And my question became why? Uh, is it because they're properly incentivized to be successful? Uh, is it because they have good leadership, coaching, and influence at home, and they they thusly understand success, and they they have something to work toward because somebody is patting them on the back and helping them to be successful? Uh, is it because somebody's encouraging them to be the best and is invested in everything they do? And what came to me was perhaps a kid who doesn't have his parents or, or her parents invested fully in what they're doing. Um will also suffer because the kid doesn't know how to be themselves invested. So, you know, that's the, the gist of it. I'm getting your message, Tim, that we might have a connection issue here. Uh, you seem all right to me. You, you still look the same. You still sound the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep, I keep slowing down and you keep, uh, 
you know, cutting out for me. So I'm thinking it's on my end. Uh, but yeah, we, we also pulled up an article here. It's five behaviors of high performing sports parents. Um, this is off of stack.com. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first one here is high performing parents put the child first always. Um, as a, you know, my, my, my youngest two played softball for the first time this year as a, as a sports parent, I wanted to be involved, wanted to help out if I could. Uh, I wasn't looking for any sort of title of coach or anything. They, they to meet a bunch of other amazing young ladies and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I got just as much out of it as these girls did, I think. Yeah. Your, your, your connection is a, a little bit choppy. I think there's something, uh, something awry with the internet and I don't know if it has to do anything with, uh, storms or, or what, but, um, I'm also making adjustments on my, my end. You, you know, the, the, the first piece of that article though is high performing parents put the child first. I think the same thing goes for coaches as well. Uh, as I mentioned, I've had the, the privilege of being able to work alongside of some really good coaches in the last few years. Um, and, you know, I think through my, my own experience as a, as a kid, uh, Tim's going to jump out. I'll keep talking. Um, my own experience as a kid and my own experience as a parent uh, with a kid who plays multiple sports has been that there are opportunities for that child to become, or for the children in, in general, to become what they need to become. I saw a quote the other day, and I'm going to pull it up here. This is monologue now, since I'm talking to myself and Tim popped out. He's having a connection issue, and he's going to try to come back in. Um, don't coach who they are coach who they can be. And that resonated with me because I thought about this. You have kids at varying levels of experience right now. You have adults at very varying levels of experience right now. If you're a manager of people or a coach of people, you're going to have adults and children who have uh, varying levels of strengths and weaknesses. And you want to exploit the strengths and the potentials. You want to be able to help that person become the best they can be. Look, this is, uh, it's coaching 101, it's parenting 101. It's, it's putting your own ego aside and, and being able to, uh, being able to help that other person get where they're going. I love mentoring for that regard. Uh, mentoring helps me to develop as a better leader, uh, being able to coach people and help them get to point from point A to point B. Look, I suffered for much of my career from what I would call imposter syndrome because I didn't think that what I was doing was good enough. And so thusly, sometimes I didn't think that I could teach other people how to be better. And what I've realized through coaching is even if you repeat the same message over and over again, 90% of people didn't hear it the first or second or third time. So you have to keep, you, you can keep up your mantras and, and the things that you can do might be encouraging to other people. Um, Tim, I, I see your back. You we popped in and out. What I was talking about is the potential to, uh, the statement I made or the quote that I quoted was don't coach who they are coach who they can be. Mm. And, and this is what I think it goes down to parenting as well. Um, look, Tim, you and I talked about this before we got on here. One of the things I realized is that some parents have multiple children. They got to run from point A to point B and they, you know, they got to share responsibilities and um, they have jobs that pull them away. They might have second shift or third shift jobs. And so they can't be at all the games. So they might have, they can't be at all the practices because they're always running from point A to point B. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but I have noticed, I mean, with very few exceptions, that the uh, the kids who always suffer to perform a little bit better or the kids who suffer to be coached, generally, I don't know who their parents are mm -hmm. as a coach. That's just my observation. Um Hey, I, I, look, I know we're live also. People can drop comments in here. I'd love to hear what people think of that as well. If you're a coach or a manager or something along those lines, you know, if, if you've got some of these uh, some of these other anecdotal things that you can talk about, uh, I'd love to hear it too, especially if you're coaching kids, because this has been a conundrum for me. It, it's been, how do I reach the kid who, who, who really has a lot of potential? And I'm trying to coach to that potential. And I know my fellow coaches have this same issue. Mm -hmm. 
there's a one kid specifically. I won't talk about the sport or the when and the where because I, you know, that's not yeah. the intention here. Yeah. I have one kid specifically who could be really, really good at their job. They have the the physicality and the potential to just be the best. But it seems that there is all this other distraction in the background. And again, I don't know who who the parents are. And, and yeah. the kid performs ten percent of the time instead of ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he has everything that it takes to be successful, but there's this element of uncoachability. It's missing. And mm-hmm. and what that tells me is maybe at home there's nobody rooting him on. Maybe at home there's nobody ever giving him instructions. He has no responsibilities. He's largely emotionally and physically left alone. And so he comes to practice and coaches are trying to influence him to do his job just a little bit better to be one of those key members of the team. And here's the other thing. I'm not talking a lot, but that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other note that I have is that this is one of those kids, same thing. He asks for all the opportunities. He asks why he's not getting the opportunities. He's, He's like, put me in coach, or why can't I do this? Or why can't I do that? And the challenging thing as a coach is to be able to tell a sixth grader, you can't do that because you, you, you consistently don't perform in your role. We we are giving you all of the opportunities and it's not that you are physically unable or you're not doing it well. It's that you're not trying to do it well. Mm -hmm. You've got it all there, but you're just not trying. And we're watching you not try something. I tell my own son all the time. Coaches can tell when you're faking it. You can go out there, (laughs) pretend all you want. We can tell, we can tell when you're faking it. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, to your, to your quote, I think if you looked at, looked at that from like a, a professional point of view, you have an employee and you know, you, you want, obviously you want your employees to get better. There there's almost every job has certain metrics, certain goals mm-hmm. uh, that, that the company would like to see you hit or exceed. Uh, so, so your job as a manager or a leader is to find ways to, to grow your employees potential. Uh, so you don't want to coach your employees, for who they are, you, you want to find what their strengths are and start to coach to that potential. Lean on those strengths. Yep. Hey, I see you're doing really good at this. Here's a couple of tips I think might even get you even better and find your performance to, to grow beyond what you've seen recently. Yep. Yeah. And one of my challenges with, you know, when you look at adults, like when you hire adults into, into jobs, when you do the interview process, you, you know that going through an interview process, you know what the strengths and weaknesses might be at that point in time. Mm. Uh, you get to bring on your own team and, and, and you can develop that from start. Uh, sometimes you can't do that. If you inherit a team, it's a little bit harder because then you're taking people that you didn't make decisions on to hire. And, uh, and, and you're, you're not able to necessarily understand like where they came from and, and where they're going. Um, I think that, I think that, with kids, sometimes it's hard because you don't want to counter or undermine what they're learning at home. You don't want to tell them, Hey, you know, your parents are wrong. I'm right. You know, or do this, not that. Um, but the, you know, at the same time, sometimes like I I feel bad because I think as a coach, I, I do, I, I take this, I internalize it. And I think about how can I leave a kid with something? If I'm coaching this person for three or four months at a time, or maybe it's only three or four months once and I'll never see them again. What can they take from me into the rest of their lives that might be meaningful? Uh, and especially some of these kids, you can tell they're not getting it at home. Um, that's a challenge for me. I don't know exactly how to, how to go about, uh, you know, giving them something, some, some piece of something that they can take into the rest of their lives. Um, and I think we, you know, the other part of this conversation is coaching, coaching without ego, and uh, trying to look for the winners and the kids instead of looking for the winners in your own name, you know. Um, yeah, Matt, you're saying you're coaching sixth grade, sixth grade kids, sixth grade, sixth grade football, uh, sixth graders in baseball, and fourth graders in basketball. Okay. Uh, of of any of the coaches you coach with, do any of them think they're going to be the next Pat Riley or uh, you know uh, Bill Belichick or any of that sort of thing? None of them. And, and I'll tell you, you know, con- conversely to that, some of these guys are, um, you know, hall of famers at their respective schools, or they played, you know, college mm-hmm. or uh, semi-pro or professional sports for, you know, some time too. So they have a, a, a very good resume under their belt. Right. See, I've, I've come across, I've encountered coaches in, in my personal past and in uh, some relatives pasts that you, you see that coach of a fifth grade football team. 
and the guys out there throwing a fit, spazzing on the sidelines, mm-hmm. acting a fool. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, jokingly, you'll say to another parent, like, this, this guy thinks, in, you know, in another five years, he's going to be the next Bill Belichick. That's right. Uh, sadly, in my personal opinion, that's the wrong way for youth coaches to be coaching any sport. The the idea there is not for your own personal glory. You don't need to go uh, and be undefeated so a high school team picks you up so you can do the same thing there and then you know move your way up the ladder. If if that were to happen, great, but that shouldn't be the goal getting into youth coaching. You know, the the, the idea for me for youth coaching is to uh, try to develop the children as best you can hopefully teach some, some things like passion, discipline, uh, character, mm-hmm. you know, about being on time, trying hard, doing your best, uh, learning how to uh, work through adversity and, and, you know, how to work as a team. That's, yeah. that's really, you're, you're starting to build those pillars for, for young adults. And, and you, you almost, and uh, you know, somebody might fight me on this, but you almost run out of that after sixth grade. So when I think about sports going into junior high and high school, then it, it does like the kids who get the most opportunities are the ones who already have all of that ingrained in them coming into that. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not going to have a high school varsity team and it's like, all right, let's bring on little Billy who gives it 30% of the time and he's going to be the starting quarterback or, you know, the starting defensive end. No. He won't get any playing time because he simply doesn't show up because he never was able to develop that in fifth or sixth grade because dad was never there. Mom was never there or grandpa or somebody was never there to say, listen, if you want these things in life, you have to be able to develop and work, work toward those things. You have to develop a work ethic. Uh, Sometimes I think about it as planting seeds. It's like, I didn't listen to my parents as a kid. And if my mom's still on here, she would attest to that. If my dad were on here. Uh, she would attest to that. I have a sixth grader who doesn't listen to me half the time. The thing is, outwardly facing, he's not listening to me, but I know he's hearing me. Mm-hmm. He he hears me because I see it in his demonstrated behavior. He he can tell me he doesn't want to go to bed on time. He doesn't want to get up in the morning. This morning we had the same thing. He's walking out the door for school and he walks out the door without his backpack. And I said, Hey, you might need your backpack. You know, it's got your lunch and literally everything else in it. Yeah. And he's like, God, I'm just not, you know, my head's not here. And I'm like, well, that's because you woke up a half an hour too late. And, and now you're scrambling to get out the door because you're so unprepared. That is the message I tell him every morning. It's the same message my mom would tell me or my dad would tell me when, when I was a kid. And now here I am as a <clears throat> 25-year-old. Uh, <laughs> and, and it you know, I, let, let's say I went into the Marines and at 18 years old, suddenly it is, we're going to wake up super early to make sure that we have everything in place so that we're always prepared. What happens when you're on a fire base in Afghanistan and the bad guy decides that they want to send 10 guys over the wire? Uh, you can't be like, well, I'm going to sleep for 10 more minutes and yeah. then I'm going to go make my lunch. And I have no idea where any of my stuff, including my weapon is, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't live like, and that's an extreme example, but I have people call me in my job who want numbers and statistics and help right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm not prepared with some sort of anecdotal answer or some sort of response I fail at what I'm being paid to do. I fail at, at, at what my, op- my opportunity to be, you know, the best around is, uh, having that institutional knowledge is what helps me be successful. So that's where I think about parenting and coaching along those same lines. Like, look, every parent doesn't need to be the coach of the kids football team. Every parent mm-hmm. doesn't need to be the basketball coach, but what they do need to do is they need to know who the coaches are. They need to watch the coaching style, the mantras of what's happening in practice. They need to get to know people's names and, and what's happening so that they can properly support their kid. So the kid doesn't go home and go, I'm not getting any playing time and I'm the best athlete on the team. Well, but you're not. And you're not following instructions and you don't know your position and you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And then when you get out there, you're giving it 10%. And you know it's the same thing in, in corporate America and professional jobs when you're getting paid to do something. Um, you can't, you can't show up and, and give it 30% and then be like, well, why am I not getting all the opportunities anymore? Yeah, where, you know? Where's, where's my bonus? Where's my big raise? You know? Right. Right. Uh, absolutely. I, I will say <clears throat> some of my personal experiences in, in youth athletics, uh, you know, I've played on, uh, I had a little league team the one year where we went undefeated. Uh, you know, that was, a, a an amazingly fun summer. Yep. Uh, you know, just every, every game, you know, the tight games where, you know, maybe we probably shouldn't have won. Things just went our way. We, we got that hit when we absolutely needed it. Uh, you know, we stole that base uh, against that catcher that had the amazing arm, just whatever it was. 
Uh, and then I've played on sports teams uh, my freshman year of high school. I just our football team was not good that year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we just didn't have it together. It was a, a bunch of younger men that hadn't really played much of uh, football. We were really still learning. Um, I found personally that those seasons, the losing seasons, the seasons where you struggle, those are the seasons where you're actually learning more and you're building more of that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because not that winning's a necessity, or not that losing's a necessity, but if you learn how to lose and you learn the lessons of losing and how how bad that can feel yeah. and how hard you're going to work to make sure you don't feel like that again, it makes winning A that much sweeter. And when you get in those tough and tight situations, again, in you know youth athletics, you're not panicked. You've been there before. You right. know what it takes to get out of it. You've built that character. Uh, and, and I'll say that it does carry over into adulthood. Um, you know, going through basic training in the Marine Corps, those moments where, uh, you know, things got tough, I could look around and we're not competing against each other. We're working as a team, but right. I, I can look over and you know, I know that Matt is just as hungry and as tired and, you know, he's dirty and sweaty just like I am. And, you know, I've, I've been dirty and sweaty on a football field beside a bunch of men before, and we didn't give up on each other then. I'm not giving up on, you know, on these guys now. And I could use that in my own head to, to keep pushing me forward because yeah, I've and, been and, in certain situations like that. And here you just made, you know, this made me think of something like how many times during a, a hump or a hike, did you pick up somebody else's pack and carry it for a half a mile or a mile? Yeah. Or you picked up somebody's 240 golf machine gun and carried it over your shoulders because they couldn't, or because they mm-hmm. twisted their ankle or because they had blisters forming on their heels. Doesn't mean that that person didn't, ha- right. They, yeah. they had the same potential you did. Some of those guys, I mean, I, I know I've picked up people who were physically stronger and more athletic than I ever was. And I picked up their stuff and carried it because that day they didn't feel good. That day they had a fever that day. And, you know, the culture of the Marine Corps, for example, was like, suck it up unless you're going to pass out while you're walking. Yeah. You better pass out while you're walking. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you how many guys would be throwing up while they were running after six I, or seven miles. Yeah. You just throw yeah. up and you wipe it off and you keep, you keep going. moving. Yeah. Right. So you, I know that that's like shocking to some people, but that was the culture and the, the nature of it because what happens in combat? Um, and again, I realize most of the kids that we're talking about coaching and stuff like that are never going to end up in combat. They're, they're never going to end up in the military, for, let alone most people in the military will never end up in combat. Uh, but what happens in combat when, you know, we're running toward an enemy or we're maneuvering around an enemy or something is happening where it, my life depends on it. And I throw up and go, you know what, I'm going to sit down and feel sorry for myself. You need to know that the guy beside you is going to keep going. Right. I want you to pick me up and drag and drag me to, yeah. to cover. If I get hurt, I twist my ankle, I fall down. Uh, something happens. I want to be able to, but I want to be able to rely on my team members, right. To do that. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to rely on my leadership, which is where the coaching and parenting piece comes in too. You got to pick them up when they're down. Yeah. Um, uh, Medal of Honor recipient, Ty Carter. Uh, you know, I served with him over in, uh, in Camp Pendleton. Um, you know, we, we were still in the Marine Corps. We were out doing some, some overnight land nav, 24 hour land nav stuff. Uh, you know, he ended up developing some some pretty nasty blisters and and needed assistance. You know, he, he thought he was going to be able to carry the, the radio the entire time, plus his weapon, plus his gear, all that good stuff. You know, taking stuff away from him. And it, it's, not a, it's not a knock on that individual. At the end of the day, uh, down the line, you know, when faced with real, real uh, needs and actions needed to be taken place, he was the man for the job. Right. You know, I may I may not have been able to perform that job that day like he did, but, you know, it's one of those where, you know, the strongest of individuals sometimes need the help. And I think that's another big lesson you learn in in, in football, because you mentioned that that the most athletic kid on the team, he shows up, he gives you 30 percent on every play. He's just, you know, uh, it's those other kids around him that that are out there busting their butt, giving that 100 percent that, you know, uh, when that kid that gives that hundred percent gets hurt, maybe that kid finally sees, man, you know, he's been getting all this playing time over me. Look how hard he's trying. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll help out or maybe that'll right. start to push that kid. And, and I think the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, if you, if you, it's the old adage or the old, uh, you know, comparison of if you, if you have a tree climbing contest or a tree climbing test between an elephant and a monkey, guess who's going to win? You know, perhaps that person's in the wrong job. Perhaps they're mm-hmm. not effectively, put into the right spot where they have the best opportunity to, to succeed. Look, I've taken jobs before uh, in the military and not that I wasn't good at, uh, either a, for a lack of 
motivation around like the, the work that we were doing or be lack of knowledge or a, you know, a, a compilation of those types of things. But in, in all of those roles, I've always given it a hundred percent because I watched my parents succeed. I watched my teammates succeed. I watched the most successful people that I decided I wanted to be like they succeed because although they might suck at what they're doing, they're giving it a hundred percent. And, and, I tell this to transitioning military and service members all the time. You're not married to the next thing you're doing anyway. So whatever job you're doing and you're like, man, I don't like this. A year passes in a pretty quick period of time, yeah. right? It's, oh, yeah. it's in a relative, like relatively a year. I look back on the start of COVID. I remember thinking this is going to take forever. We're going to be locked down forever. Well, here we are like two years later. And that was now a blink of an eye. You know, it's mm-hmm. so long ago now. So, um, you know, we're talking about this article. The other thing that that it, it talks about is, and there are a handful of things we probably won't be able to get to, but two two other ones. High-performing parents say the right things on the way home, and high-performing parents are involved, but not over-involved. So there's that term like helicopter parenting. It's they're, they're, yeah, they're trying to solve all their problems to their kids, and they're not allowing their kids to have failures. And they're not allowing, uh, like you should allow your, I tell all the coaches that ever coach my son, I'm like, I won't coach my own kid. I'll talk to him sometimes during practice or a game, but I'm not, I'm not the one coaching him. You guys coach him. If you need to yell at him, yell at him. If it needs to get the message across, get the message across. Cause, cause when I raise my voice, it's just, well, dad's raising his voice cause he's dissatisfied with something. I don't need to listen to that. But the other coach raises his voice and says, Hey, you need to do this a little bit better or do this differently it's going to go into the brain housing group, as we say. And mm-hmm. it, uh, it, you know, the parents yelling from the sidelines, we've had problems with those uh, in a number of different sports, not one that I've coached before, but parents yelling from the sidelines during a basketball game. And, and, and I've heard of other coaches going like, Hey, if you wanted to coach, you should have volunteered. Otherwise yeah. you stay over there and let me coach my team. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough with the, Another thing with the helicopter parenting is you're, you're not allowing your children to develop problem solving skills. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get in that tough situation and it's up to the child sometimes to try to figure out, like, okay, what am I not doing right here? What am I missing? Is there a little bit of a technique issue? If I, am I, am I stepping with the wrong foot? Am I not turning my hips in, into my swing in a baseball, you know, whatever it is. Um, but they're not able to work through that problem solving thing on their own. The parents doing that all for them. You're stealing your, your child's development away. Uh, and then the other one you brought up, Matt, is the, you know, saying the right things on the ride home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the article highlights something about, you know, you pick Johnny up from the yachting contest and, right. well, did you win? Yes. Yeah. Winning is important, but maybe how was it? Did you have fun? Was it a good day? What'd right. you learn? Let's talk about what you learned. Cause you know what? I talked about it earlier. You might've learned more in a loss than you did in a win. So hey, let's talk about what you learned. Hey, what did you do good at? Maybe what did you struggle with? Let's talk about that. Right. How can I help you get better? Yep. Yeah, I've I've worked with parents and coaches who just say things. They say the same things over and over again to the players during play. They they try to coach them during play, and it's not really even coaching. It's more like do this, not that. Oh, Billy, you should have scooped that grounder. Well, Billy knows that he should have scooped the grounder. Yeah. Right. It's you don't need to tell him that. And you don't need to keep repeating yourself. You don't need to keep telling him to just relax and breathe. Well, relax and breathe. The, the kid doesn't hear that. It becomes sort of a a, a mantra, just the same yeah. as just the same as a parent getting in the car and saying, well, Billy, you should have had that tackle six times. Billy knows he should have had that tackle. What you're trying to do is encourage them uh, to your point. There's there's an element of having fun, but also winners are having fun, too. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to win, you have to have fun. You have to enjoy it. People in the NFL, while they get paid a lot, for example, or in the MLB, while they get paid a lot, you see a lot of guys like Tom Brady is, you see him in the news right now, like the marriage is falling apart and he's 40 some odd years old. The guy loves the game. I doubt he needs more money right now. Uh, I don't know what his financial situation is, but he, he enjoys the game. He's a lot the- of these guys, yeah, like hey, he's the goat, right? Yeah, yeah. Stay in the game until you're not the goat. Mm-hmm. Um but your kid has to love it because they're committing time. Football is three days a week for us plus a game. Yeah, it is. It is twelve or fifteen hours of dedication each week. They have bruises. They are battered. They're beaten. They're bleeding. They're tired. They're sweating. Uh, sure. They have. Yeah, they have to want to come to that and and show up. And it's really hard to come to that and show up if your coaches are 
not really developing you and just yelling the same old crap at you. And mm -hmm. your parents are giving you an earful in the car. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ask Aaron Judge if he likes baseball. Right. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, when he gets paid, you know, $45 million a year, you know, after he gets his new contract after the season, I'm sure he'll, he'll like that too. But he doesn't yeah. get, he doesn't get to be, you know, uh, the home run champion by not loving the game. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I bet if baseball or f professional football or any of these sports paid people a, a livable me middle class wage, mm -hmm. a lot of these guys would still do it. Even if That's they were cool. making $150,000 a year, they'd still do it because they're good at it. And mm -hmm. if it's a way to, I mean, this is the... That's the dream everybody wants, right? Is earn a living off of something you enjoy doing. I do that every day. I love, I love, love, love the work that I do and the people I get to deal with and, and work with. Uh, are there challenges? Absolutely. Is it, 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 sometimes there's justification in what we're doing and money we're spending and things like that. Absolutely. There's, there's constantly an uphill battle to try to remain relevant in some cases in the industry that I'm in. Um, but it's also one of those things where as long as I can do it and, and earn a living and have a, a great impact on a business, I'll do it all day long. Um, you know, we're not going to get through that article because of time here, but a couple of notes I want to make is that back to that point, kids have to be encouraged to be winners. Mm -hmm. They have to be encouraged to get better. They have to understand, like, you can't just repeat, do it better, do it faster, get there. Uh, throw harder, uh, whatever yeah. you can't, you can't do that. You have to, you know, properly equip them, but also the, I, I use the term mantras, like the, the over and over the mantras over and over again, like repetitions are great for sports, but the repetitive banter is not good for sports. You have to explain to them why and how, right. Yeah. And, and especially for that kid who might suffer a little bit because mom and dad aren't at home explaining why and how, uh, it's an educational period for you to under for that kid to understand, uh, how they get where they're going. The other thing is um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Uh, it's something that we heard in the Marines. We used to say that all the time. You're only as strong on a, on a hike up a hill in Camp Pendleton. You guys can only move as an element as fast as the slowest guy carrying the most gear or with a broken ankle or what have you. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to pick up. You have to be able to account for moving those people from point A to point B. Um, and it's the same thing with teams. Consider that a team, you shouldn't be like, well, little Billy, you're not very good. So we're just going to put you over in the corner and let the rest of the team play. Um, in some cases you have to do that in sports because Billy might, might not be performing for his, to his full potential, but in practice, that kid should be getting a whole lot of opportunity to, uh, to develop. The other thing I'll, I'll, I'll leave here. A couple more things, be humble, be without an ego, put your own ego aside as parents, as coaches, uh, you can't have an ego. That's not about you. It's not about your legacy. It's not about your name. It's about the kids wanting to come back and do it. Put your children and the teams first. Uh, finally, I'll leave it with this. I read a book called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. If you've never heard from Simon Sinek, uh, read about that. It talks about Leadership 101. It has a very military-esque lens that through which he talks about it. And the, 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 the book actually starts out with an example of some troops in contact and an A-10 pilot overhead who has to go support them. Uh, but it talks about something we said in the Marines, like the leadership eats last. The higher rank you are, the last you are, the, the, the further back you are on the line. And that just simply means putting others first to get the team to succeed. Because you as the leader are not the one turning the wrench. You're not the one in the battle. Mm -hmm. Make sure the people that are fighting the battle, the people that are doing the job, the kids that are playing the sport are able to be first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's making sure they're fully equipped. In that case, they have full bellies. Uh, Matt, I just wanted to bring it up. You talked about you're only as strong as your weakest link. You mentioned your son and his entire uh, group of offensive linemen getting recognized. If one individual in that offensive line is underperforming and, you know, every, every down that they're blitzing, you know, he's not able to block that second guy, you know, not able to hold his part of the bargain up like the rest of them, that offensive line isn't getting recognized, but because right. the entire unit as a whole, uh, now it's, it's a small portion of the entire team, but that unit of offensive linemen all did their job and they did it very well that unit got to be recognized. So yep. you know, it's, 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 it's great when you see, you know, young, young individuals starting to learn teamwork and, and build, you know, those bonds with, with people. Cause uh, you know, if your son continues to play, these are some of those kids he'll probably play high school football with. And yeah, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be able to look back and go, Hey man, remember, golly, we got recognized that one time, but 
Yeah. Man, did we suck back then? <laughs> well, and, and and it might also be that kid who's performing at 20% right now, and maybe something clicks with him in two more years and he becomes the hot shot, right? Yeah. And and yeah. now he remembers like I'm only as good as the rest of my team. I have to I remember these things, I remember these lessons, you know. Mm-hmm. I think some kids and adults grow up without a lot of that and they don't know how to be humble leadership types or coaches or etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good conversation. It, it's, you know, my apologies for the technical difficulties there. I kept buzzing in and out and it was, it was a little rough, but overall great conversation today. So uh, thanks everybody for checking us out today and being part of the podcast. We appreciate you greatly. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Uh, you can follow us, like us, uh, rate us, review us there, as well as on all the major podcast platforms, wherever you like to download those audio podcast check us out as well on any one of those and until next time we'll be right back here on beyond the wire